For tonight's Bible readings, you can find them in the inside pages of the Order of Service. So there'll be seven Bible readings, all on the theme of grace. And Phil will be preaching to us after these readings. For each reading, I will give out the reference to help those who are listening online afterwards. So starting with Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Titus 2, verse 11.
For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly pleasures and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you so much. We have this um, wonderful, fantastic subject of grace, grace alone, uh, to study together tonight. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach our minds and set our hearts on fire. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, there was a man called uh, Lancelot Andrews, and uh, here he is, um, rather grumpy-looking individual, I suppose, isn't he? Um, anyway, he was, um, he was responsible. He oversaw the production of the, the The and Thou Bible, the King James Version, the authorised version of the Bible in the 17th century. He was Bishop of Chichester, then he became the Bishop of Ely, then he became the Bishop of uh, Winchester. Uh, I think it was one after the other rather than all at the same time. And uh, he said of the Reformation, which began with the hammering Martin Luther of his 95 theses or arguments onto the church door in Wittenberg 500 years ago on Tuesday, he said that the Reformers were, and I quote, renovators, not innovators. The reformers were renovators and not innovators. Uh, what the story, the situation was that the, the medieval church was in a complete and utter mess. To me. And uh, the reformers were saying, well, let's get back to the Bible and see what the Bible teaches us about the great doctrines of the Christian faith. And it is these doctrines that we're looking at now uh, on these uh, five sermons about the Reformation. Well, actually, really, it's four doctrines and then one conclusion. And uh, this evening is one of the doctrines, grace alone. And uh, I think it may help just to think about these doctrines, that they are um, they're an answer to five questions. So, for instance, the first question, how can a person be right with God? Answer, grace alone. And that's what we're looking at tonight. Then the second question is this. So how does this grace come? Answer, Christ alone. And then the third question, how do we find Christ then? Well, it's scripture alone. And the fourth question is, what is our part? Faith alone. And those are five great doctrines, four great doctrines of the Reformation, and then one conclusion, which we're looking at next Sunday morning. What's the result? Glory to God alone. And the Reformation is like a a stool with five legs or five foundational pillars on a building. And uh, we're looking at these five together. The crucial word in all those that comes in each one is the word alone, actually. That's what they're saying. Plenty of people talked about grace and Christ and scriptures and faith and uh, of the glory of God. But for the Reformation, the key and fundamental thing is the word alone. Um, and these things, all of the, the kind of the stuff that was being debated about was often done in Latin. And so the word alone in Latin is sola. So we've got these five solas that we're looking at. And it is grace alone that we're looking at today. <clears throat> now. First main point, the outline's on the back of our uh, order of service, and the first main point is this. Well, I hope it is. Here we are. What's wrong with grace? 
What's wrong with grace? That's rather an important question, because the medieval church before the Reformation were rather keen on grace. In fact, they taught salvation by grace. They would have, they would have come out if you'd said, you know, do you believe in salvation by grace? They'd said, yes, of course we believe in salvation by grace. God giving himself to us. They would have loved that Sunday school definition that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God giving himself to us for our salvation. They would have been really enthusiastic about that. Anyone, uh, any leader of the uh, medieval church. But what they, the medieval church, taught about grace was seriously and fatally wrong. Because they said, do your best and in response to that, God will dispense his grace and you'll be saved and you'll go to heaven. And uh, uh, so uh, the Roman Catholic teacher, the Catholic teachers of the, of, uh, of the day, said this, God will not deny grace to those who do their best. That all sounds good, doesn't it? But it's not. It's terrible. It's a heresy, actually. Um, uh, the problem is huge. Because when you've done that, do your best. How do you know when your best is good enough? Well, the answer is you, you can never know. None of us knows when our best is good enough. And you end up in a desperate situation. So, uh, you know, so you've got the situation here where, where you're turning God into some kind of drinks machine. You know the kind of drinks machine where you put your money in, they press the code, and out comes your can of Coke? Well, the idea here is that you do your bit, so you put the money in, you press the buttons, and out comes the can of Coke, and uh, gr- God's grace to get us saved is like the can of Coke coming out. But the trouble is we don't know what the code is. Because we don't know how, how, what we've got to do. We don't know what God's standards are. We don't know how much we have to achieve in order to do our bit. And so, uh, uh, you know, when do you know that you're good enough? When do you know that you're nice enough? When do you know that you've prayed enough? When do you know that you've confessed enough sins? When, how, when do you know how many times you've got to go to church? How many small groups together meetings you have to go to before you've done your part? It is seeing, actually, our works, the stuff that we do, as some kind of trigger. And when we trigger God's grace, then God's grace is poured upon us. That is a big problem, isn't it? Because you never know when you've done enough to pull the trigger. How hard do you have to pull for the trigger to trigger? And the problem with that whole way of doing things is it's unkind. It's cruel. It's a prison. It's slavery. And you and I would never know if we've done enough. And there were millions of people around the world in the medieval times who were just doing desperately what they needed to try and do. And they never knew if it was good enough. Martin Luther uh, was one of them. He wrote this. It's true, I was a good monk and kept my order so strictly that I could say that uh, if ever a monk could get into heaven uh, through monastic discipline, I should have entered in. All my companions in the monastery who knew me would bear me out in this. For if it had gone on much longer, I would have martyred myself to death. What with vigils, prayers, readings and other works. And yet my conscience would not give me certainty. But I always doubted and said, you didn't do that right. You weren't contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. The more I tried to remedy an uncertain, weak and troubled conscience with human traditions, the more daily I found it more uncertain, weaker and more troubled. 
You see, the trouble is, if you're just trying to trigger God's grace by being good enough for it, actually the thing that's getting you to heaven is you trying to be good enough. And it doesn't work. And it's cruel. It's very cruel. It's a, it's a prison. It's a slavery. And in response to that, the reformers said, well, no, of course it's, of course it's slavery, because actually the answer is not grace, but grace alone. And that's what we're thinking about tonight. And the alone is really, really important because it means that God is not trying to build on our wibbly-wobbly foundation of our good works or anything that we think is going to contribute. He creates life, eternal life, out of nothing. The doctrine of grace alone means that we're helpless. We're entirely dependent on God to get us to heaven. We contribute nothing. That is N-O-T-H-I-N-G, nothing. Zilch, zero, nil point, okay? Nothing. But then we say, well, surely my being nice must help a bit. Surely my being a member of the PCC must help a bit. Surely my coming to church must help a bit. Surely my reading my Bible this morning must help a bit. Surely my doing my neighbor's shopping must help a bit. Surely my keeping to the speed limits must help a bit. And actually they don't. And the reformers rediscovered this fact that actually we contribute nothing to our salvation. Nothing at all. And the trouble is, when we think we can, we put ourselves back into a prison. We put ourselves back into slavery. And then something else really nasty and kind of like a bit invidious comes along. Because we think, well, if I can't contribute to my getting saved in the first place, surely I can contribute something now in order to keep myself on the way to heaven. So we think that coming along to church tonight is actually a good thing and is going to help God to you know, think kindly towards us, just to kind of make sure. It doesn't make any difference on that front. Actually, Christian people, we want to come to church because we want to learn and we want to grow and we want to worship the one who has saved us by his grace alone. But we don't come here in order to get further brownie points on the way. It just doesn't work like that. Martin Luther again said this, uh, the law says do this and it is never done. Grace says believe in this and everything is already done. So if you look on the inside of our order of service there, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He doesn't charge us for it. He doesn't say, well I've given you this grace and now you've got to do this in response. It is freely given, free. It costs nothing to us. It costs God everything. It costs our Lord Jesus everything. And then when you look at just below that in Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 5. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. And then you skip down to verse 8, and he says it again. Because we're so slow to grasp it. We're so quick to think there must be something I can contribute here. And he says, for it is by grace you have been saved. And then he's, there are two nots. Not from yourselves, and in verse 9, not by works. Because we think that we can do something. We think that we can work our way. We must be able to help God out somehow. 
But we can't. We can't. Because even the good stuff that we try and do is just like filthy rags. Paul really emphasizes that because we just so often think that there is something. The medieval church uh, taught that our good works triggered God's grace. And to be honest, you and I think exactly the same, don't we? Actually, triggering God's grace in order to get us on the way to heaven or triggering, triggering God's grace to keep us going once we've been, become Christians. But look at 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9 there. He saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And I don't know about you, but I find that, you know, um, I don't know, guys and Kay, if you've been in one of these soft play area type of things where uh, someone ties a rubber band around your, uh, a very sort of big rubber band around your, uh, around your middle, and it's attached back there somewhere, and you have to run as far as you can that way until the rubber band is so taut and so powerful that it yanks you back and you crash back into the uh, soft play thing. Have you been into one of those? No? I remember going to, yeah, Matt has, yeah, and you survived. It's it's a cause of all sorts of injury in youth groups and things. Um, But actually, that's just like us and this whole thing, because we think we can do something. And and so so we're running away, but this desire for us to think we must be able to do something, we must be able to contribute, you know, the longer we go on, then suddenly it just drags us back. And what we need to do, this rubber band that's around our waist and is dragging us back to think we must be able to contribute something, we've got to cut it. Once and for all. And understand and see, actually we contribute nothing. It's grace alone. It's grace alone. Third thing to say uh, is this. It's a swap. It's a swap. Now I love 2 Corinthians 5.21 there. Uh, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, Luther, I'm going to quote him a number of times tonight. And uh, uh, he was writing to a friend. What I'll do is I'll, I'll, um, I'll, write, I'll read out what I've got for the first bit, and then it gets a bit kind of Elizabethan English, so I'll then translate that into modern language. Okay, so here's his letter. Uh, Therefore, my dear brother, learn Christ and him crucified. Learn to pray to him, and despairing of yourself, say, and now I'm putting it into modern English, you, Lord Jesus, are my righteousness, but I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine, and have given to me what is yours. You have taken upon yourself what you were not, and have given me what I was not. You have taken upon yourself what you were not, and have given to me what I was not. This is all fairly heavy, okay? So uh, uh, it, it's most, it'll be recorded, it'll be on the website. If you want to go back and listen, then uh, do that, do do that this week. You see, it's the cross is where we see God's grace at its best. And the cross is a swap, I found that a real revelation when uh, I was, I think I was probably a youth leader at that point, and someone came and did a talk, and they just said, look, you've just got to understand that the cross is a swap. And uh, uh, so on the one side, it's you and me, okay? Full of sin, full of death, full of damnation. 
On the other side is Jesus, full of grace, full of life, full of salvation. And at the cross, we swap over. So Jesus becomes full of sin and full of death and full of damnation. Our sin, our death and our damnation. And we become full of Jesus' grace and Jesus' life and Jesus' salvation. It's a swap. We swap over. And that means that we now have a new status, utterly righteous before God. Yes, our behavior is such that we do still sin. We do still do stuff and we will, that we shouldn't be doing or not do stuff that we should be doing in this life. That is, that is what we're like. One of the reformers' famous little uh, um, uh, uh, catchphrases was simul justus et peccator. At the same time, justified and sinners. Sinners because we do things. Because we do things that, uh, that aren't uh, right in God's eyes. But we have that glorious new status because the cross is a swap. The cross is a place where we see God's grace and all its glory and it's a swap. But it gets better than that. Even better. And the, and the fourth thing is this. Grace is not a thing but a person. So it is, the Luther and the Reformers said that grace isn't a thing at all. In fact, it's true to say there's no such thing as grace. As in, there's no such thing as grace. And the Reformers and Luther would say uh, that uh, it, grace is not a thing, but personal kindness of God, by which he rescues us and gives us himself. There is only Christ who is the blessing of God freely given to us. Well, it's interesting, Luther himself actually tended not to speak about uh, grace uh, awfully much. He preferred to speak of Christ, for Christ is grace. Christ made himself ours so totally that we may plead that what is his is ours. Luther again, through faith in Christ, Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. And all that he has becomes ours, or rather, he himself becomes ours. Which is why, uh, look at Philippians chapter 1 there, uh, thinking of heaven, okay? Uh, and Paul writes this, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, and he's got this debate going on in his mind, you know, do I, uh, do I stay here? What's best, you know, uh, about dying or living? And he says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. That's his, that's his picture of heaven, to be with Christ, which is a glorious and wonderful thing, isn't it? To say, uh, better by far, to say to someone who's recently bereaved, your loved one, if they're Christians, they've gone to a place with Jesus, which is better by far than being here. Better by far. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, that's uh, pretty, pretty heavy stuff, pretty uh, deep stuff. Uh, but these are great truths which are to be relished and enjoyed, which are to be celebrated, 
Would you be marveled at together as we meet week by week? Uh, uh, so living under grace alone, I'm just going to talk about three consequences just briefly here uh, about living, what it, what it means practically. And uh, just three things. The first one uh, is confidence. They may be on a slightly different order on the back of our uh, sheets. First one is confidence or the assurance that we're saved, that heaven is our destination. And we can only be confident because we haven't done it. And if it was up to us in any way, shape or form, if we had to kind of trigger God's grace, how do you know? You don't know. You can't be sure. But because it's not our work, it's not, because it's not anything that we have done, it means we can be sure, humbly sure. So it's not an arrogant thing because it's not up to us. We just put our faith in God's. We're not reliable. We can't be sure. But God is a God of grace. And it's all about how God has won this for us. So we can be humbly confident. There's never, ever any place in any Christian's life to be an arrogant person. And certainly not arrogant about our salvation. Because we've done nothing. Simply been rescued. And that's a very humbling place to be, isn't it? To be rescued. Uh, one of the books I read, uh, have read about, actually talking books on the Reformation, I just, um, there's, a, there's still got some of these actually on the bookstall. Um, I hope that you're really, as we're going through and preaching about some of these things about the Reformation, um, I really hope you're thinking, actually I'd like to read a bit more just so I'm on top of this a bit more. And uh, this one's brilliant, Kirsten Burkett, The Essence of the Reformation. Okay, She's a great writer and I think this is probably the best short, this is a fiver, all right? Fiver. Actually, I, I've had a reading week this week and uh, one of the books I read on, uh, I think it was Friday morning, uh, I picked up on Thursday night, read it Friday morning, Sing, it's a really great book. So I went down to Books Live and I bought all of them. Okay? The 17 copies, I got them, and uh, they're here. And it's a fiver because there's a misprint on the back. All right? So this is a great book about singing. So if you ever sing, well, that's all of us then, isn't it? Fantastic, but we've got to know about how to sing, how important it is for us to sing. If you're a musician, Matt and the band and so on, guys, you've got to have this. I'll give you one if you haven't got any money on you, okay? This is a great book. But actually, we're thinking about the Reformation tonight, so go and buy the Kristen Burkett one. Five quid each, okay? Got a tenner, get them both, take them home. Anyway, Kristen Burkett, that's the lady who wrote this book, uh, wrote this in the book. God did all that was necessary for salvation. There was no bargaining, for God was prepared to do it all. He did not merely make it possible to enter heaven, conditional on certainly holy activities during life. He brought people into heaven so they could be confident they were there now while still alive. God was wholly devoted to the interests of his people, as demonstrated by his willingness to provide free salvation, although it was so costly to himself. Now that means we can be confident. It also means, uh, second, we can be joyful. Not just can be joyful, we should be joyful. William Tyndale, okay, he's the bloke who translated the Bible into English the first time round. For his troubles, over in Belgium, they caught up with him, they strangled him, and then they burnt him at the stake. Okay, But this is what he wrote about being a Christian. Mercy, glad and joyful tidings that maketh a man's heart glad and maketh him sing, dance and leap for joy. 
As Christian people, we should be joyful people. Surely Christians should be characteristically joyful people. Let's not all be somber and terribly... You know, we should have fun because we're Christians, shouldn't we? We should be people who smile a lot, who enjoy being in each other's company, who enjoy being here at church, who celebrate week by week because of the wonderful grace of God. And just look at the back of church there. Look up when you walk down to the back. That's absolutely brilliant. It says, Jesus, light of the world. That's our Jesus in our dark world. We have stuff to celebrate and to be joyful about. We should revel, revel in God's grace and be joyful when we meet together, be joyful and sing and sing our hearts out actually when we're together. And why not sing your hearts out as a family when you're at home? That's one of the thing, things that uh, this book Sing talks about, okay? Singing your hearts out with your family when you're at home. And then the final thing, and with this I'll finish, freedom, freedom. Uh, look at Titus uh, chapter 2 there. And, uh, 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 and we, we read about grace of God. And it teaches us to willingly want to live for him. So it says there, look at the beginning of verse 12, for instance. Uh, this is talking about the grace of God that has appeared in Jesus, offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions, not because saying no to them is going to you know, make, give us brownie points and help us on the way to heaven, but just simply because we want to. Because we've been saved by grace. We've been given this wonderful gift. And so he says here, it teaches us to say so. So of course we want to say no to ungodliness. Why wouldn't we? And worldly passions, we don't want to be involved in this world, any worldly passion, do we? Because of the grace of God in bringing us salvation. Uh, and it says that we want to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Of course we do. Not that it's going to earn our way to heaven or contribute or help God out in any way. But just simply because we love him. Because of all the wonderful, wonderful stuff that he's done for us in Jesus dying for us and bringing us uh, salvation. We delight to do good. There is not an, not an ounce of coercion. Not an ounce of you really ought to be doing this. No, we delight to. We want to. It's what it's about. That's reveling in God's grace. I want to, because of God's grace, I want to do good to others. I want to help. And I really want to become more like the one who gave himself for me, who swapped himself for me, so that I may go to heaven when I die. So I really want to live for him. I really want to serve him. I really want others to live for him and to serve him too. It doesn't add an ounce, not a gram, to any reason why God should accept me. But I just want to follow him and live for him now because of all that he's done for me. It's a freedom. It's a wonderful freedom. And don't you see, that's the complete opposite of the slavery and the prison that was there in the medieval church, which saw grace, our works, as a trigger to God's grace. Let's pray together. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then Gillian's going to... Lead us in our further prayers. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful, stupendous, 
grace that you have given us. Grace alone. Father, thank you that in grace alone it means that uh, there's nothing we contribute. And we just revel, Father, in this extraordinary love and gift of grace that you have given us. Forgive us where we think, oh, I can just help you out a bit. And how daft is that? Well, Lord, we often do that. And we pray you'd forgive us for those times and help us just to appreciate all that you've done for us and live in freedom as we seek to follow you day by day. For Jesus' sake. Amen.